Wonderful. Uh, hello everyone, I'm Alex. Uh, I'm a second year student studying English and Ancient History and if you haven't met me yet, uh, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I'll be leading us through our Bible reading today, uh, which is Genesis 13, 1 to 18. It's in your booklets there or turn in your Bibles to it with me. So, Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plains and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Well, it would be helpful for you to have your Bibles out if you've got one with you, because we're going to cover not just uh, Genesis chapter 13, but uh, chapter 14 as well today. We'll have some of it up on slides, uh, but if you've got your Bible with you, you'll be able to follow along uh, a bit easier. Uh, If I haven't met you before, my name's Ben. Uh, I'm a staff worker here with the Christian Union, uh, and it's great to be with you again today. When you look around at our world, uh, it does look pretty broken, doesn't it, a lot of the time? Good, but broken. Uh, COVID-19, as we all know, is uh, wreaking havoc around the globe. Uh, And as well as the problems that just come inherently with that, the, the sickness and the death, the isolation has also highlighted a whole bunch of problems for us that were already there, but... I guess we were just distracted by with the busyness of everyday life. Uh, Domestic violence, uh, the difficulty of escaping from that now. Uh, Mental health issues, 
the increasing casualisation of our workforce that just sort of leaves people quite vulnerable to losing their jobs at the drop of a hat. We've also seen the rise of cancel culture. Uh, This was kind of happening before uh, COVID-19, but the sort of thing where someone says something silly or wrong or maybe even right, but a minority of people, an angry subset, dislike it. And then the online mob kind of rushes in and uh, they pick a fight and they try to get the person sacked and often their employers, uh, full of cowardice, rush to do exactly that. There's lots of problems in our world, Uh, but if you've got any sort of personal insight, you recognise that the problems are not all just sort of out there, the problems are in here as well. We often add to the problems of our own world. We're selfish, uh, we lack courage, we lack kindness. It's hard to shake the feeling that our world isn't the way that it ought to be, uh, that somehow our world is broken. And so are we. Well, in the book of Genesis, God actually tells us that that intuition is right. That God has made the world good, but we have broken it by rebelling against him. And that God has punished us for our sin. And what does God's punishment affect? Well, land, offspring and blessings. So if we went back to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis being the first book of the Bible, we would see the account of Adam and Eve in the garden and their rebellion against God, their desire to decide for themselves what good and evil is, rather than listening to God. And when they do that, we see God uh, make a number of changes. Firstly, he curses the land so that it becomes hard to work. Thorns and thistles sprout from it. Secondly, he declares that having offspring will now become painful. And thirdly, the blessing of eternal life with God in the garden is taken away. The man and the woman are cast out of the garden and the curse of death comes. Our world is broken and we broke it. Not as an accident, uh, but as a deliberate act of rebellion against God. We broke our world. We broke ourselves. And we broke our relationship with God. And if you were here uh, last week, then you would have seen in Genesis chapter 12, God begin his plan to undo the mess we've made of the world. Begin his plan to restore our broken world, to rescue us from sin and to reconcile himself to us. Uh, We saw God speak to Abram, just a random idol-worshipping guy from Babylon, uh, and this is what he said to him. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's quite an extraordinary act of kindness, really. Um, Abraham, we don't really know anything about him at this point. Um, I've got a a kid's Bible that I bought for one of my uh, daughters at home. And it begins this story, uh, this account of Abraham 
by saying Abram loved God very much and so did his wife Sarah. But when you read the Bible, that's not what it says at all. That's completely wrong. It doesn't say anything about Abram. God just rocks up to him and makes these promises. But notice how these promises begin to undo the works of the curses of the fall. God had cursed the land uh, and exiled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. But now he promises a new land. There would be pain in childbearing, but now God promises the blessing of offspring, lots of offspring, a great nation. We rejected the blessing of life with God in the garden, but now God promises to bless Abram again and to bless all the peoples of the world through him. And as we move through the Bible, we see God's plan reach its climax in Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, come in the flesh, blesses us by dying the death that we deserve, taking God's anger at our sin so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. Through his resurrection and his outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he creates a new people, a new spiritual offspring from every people group and nation. And through Jesus' return, bringing heaven to earth, God will give us a new land, the new creation, to live with each other and with him forever. Sorry for the spoilers uh, if you haven't read further than Genesis chapter 12 in the Bible, but this is where it goes. Uh, These are God's promises to Abram, but they're fulfilled in Jesus. Land, offspring and blessing. Ultimately fulfilled through Jesus' death, resurrection and return. But the question I want to ask today is, what does that matter for us now? How does having God's promises while we're still here in this broken world as broken people, how do these promises change life now? What difference does believing God's promises make in the midst of our broken world? Well, last week we saw uh, that Abram believed God's promises. He left his home country, he set out for the land that God had promised to him, but when he arrives in Canaan, there are some significant obstacles to the promises of God. Firstly, land. He doesn't own any of it. Secondly, offspring. His wife's infertile. And thirdly, blessing. Well, there just really isn't much so far. And then it gets worse, we saw. Famine breaks out in the land and so he heads to Egypt. Offspring. Uh, He's worried about getting killed for his wife, so he pretends that she's uh, his sister And she ends up in Pharaoh's harem. Not a good way to have offspring. And blessing. Uh, Well, Pharaoh does actually give Abram quite a lot of stuff because he's got his sister Sarai. But Egypt is cursed by God. Abram, I think, did believe God's promises, but sort of thought he had to do things his way. Just do what what seemed uh, sensible. And he acts in a fairly cowardly and unkind way. But then at the very end of the chapter, we saw that God begins to undo all Abram's mess. He brings him back into the land with his wife, materially blessed, and with blessing going to Egypt as a result of the curse being lifted. 
And that's where we start chapter 13. So if you've got your hand out there, have a look at chapter 13 with me uh, in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Lot's his nephew, uh, we found out last week. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. So again, Abram is back in the land, he's got the potential for offspring, uh, and he's got this blessing. And verses 3 to 4 in chapter 13 kind of reset everything back to where they were initially after the promises of God in chapter 12. Abram travels around the land that God has promised to him. He goes back to Bethel where he built an altar to God and he calls on the name of the Lord. But then things start to get interesting. A new threat arises. And this time it's a threat to the land, to God's promise of land. Uh, You can see it uh, there in verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. See, God's blessed them so much that they can't actually occupy the same land, given that the Canaanites and Perizzites are also there. There's just not enough land to support both Abram and Lot and uh, all their herders. Now, imagine that you are in this situation. Imagine that you're Abram. What would you do? Well, you take a moment and just chat to the person next to you. What would you do? Suggestions? Uh, anyone game to tell us what you'd do if you were Abram in this situation? Kill some Canaanites and Perizzites. Kill some Canaanites and Perizzites. Okay. Yeah. More more room for us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Yep. Any other suggestions? Spread out more. Spread out more. But you're constrained. You're limited by the Canaanites and Perizzites. Kick Lot out. Kick Lot out. That's what I'd do. <laughs> I mean, after all, I'm his uncle, right? If I'm Abram. I'm an older man in a culture that respects older men. Um, I ought to have the land. And after all, God's promised me the land, right? He hasn't promised it to Lot. I'd say, hang on. Yeah, Lot, God has promised this land to me. And besides, I'm your uncle. I should get first dibs. And yet what's interesting is that's not actually what Abram does. Verse 8, Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. 
And so what does Lot do? He looks around, he checks out the land, and he sees the best land and he chooses it for himself. Of course, why wouldn't you? That's the rational human thing to do, isn't it? He chooses the best land, land that's not dependent on rainfall, land that is fed by the River Jordan. Like the garden of the Lord, it says, like the land of Egypt. And you think, surely this ought to be the land that Abram gets. I mean, he's just been down in Egypt because there was a famine in the land. uh, And Egypt's watered by the Nile. It doesn't depend on rainfall. And if this is God's plan to roll back the curses that we saw in Genesis, then surely a land that's like the Garden of Eden, that ought to be the land that Abram gets, right? So why is Abram content to let Lot have it? If it was me, I would have taken the best land for myself, like Lot did. Or, actually, to be more honest, I probably would have been too gutless to confront Lot about it and would have just sort of silently resented it for the rest of my life. (laughs) But Abram actually responds with courage and kindness, which is really interesting because he wasn't like this in chapter 12. Back then, he happily abandoned the land uh, because of the famine. What has changed? What's going on? And it seems that God approves of what Abraham does. Have a look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. God actually reaffirms his promise to Abram. But why did Abram act with such courage and kindness towards Lot? In chapter 14, we see a second threat arise, uh, this time to Abram's family. Uh, Kedalama, the king of Elam, invades from the north. This is where all invasions kind of come from because you've got a desert out there to the, uh, to the east, so you've got to come in from the north. He invades from the north along with three allied kings to punish the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admar, Zeboim and Zoar for rebelling against him. So the four invaders sweep down the east side of the Jordan and they quickly defeat the five rebels. But in the process, they capture Abram's nephew, Lot, who's been living in Sodom. Now, again, if you're Abram, what would you do? Have a chat to the person next to you. That'll do. 
Uh, okay, let's hear from someone. Uh, what would you do in this situation if you were Abram? Conduct a covert operation to remove Lot and his family from Sodom. Right, right. Send in the SAS uh, under cover of darkness and sneak them out. Yeah, okay, possibly. Yeah. Uh, send thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. That is exactly what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Any other suggestions? Yeah, thoughts and friends is what I'd do, I think. So, look, uh, you know, I really liked Lot. He was a good guy. But, um, uh, yes, look, bad stuff happens. And um, these guys have just taken out five kingdoms. Uh, I am uh, just going to let this one go through to the keeper, I think. <laughs> yeah, I would have just bailed on Lot. I mean, what can you do? And interestingly, that was pretty much Abram's response when a threat arose to his family back in chapter 12. When he went down to Egypt, uh, he was worried that because his wife Sarah was so beautiful that the Egyptians would kill him for her and take her. So what did he do? He just handed her over straight away. Said, uh, look, she's uh, my sister. Hello. Uh, And she got taken off into Pharaoh's harem. It wasn't even an actual threat. It was just his fear of a possible threat. And yet here, his response is very different. Uh, Verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household, his big household, uh, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them pursuing them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. I totally would not have done this. I would have wussed out. I would have stayed there quite comfortably. In fact, come to think of it, I could have had all the land that Lot had as well, couldn't I? I would have left Lot to his fate. But Abram, again, acts with courage and kindness. Why? What's changed from chapter 12? And again, it seems like God approves, uh, as we'll see in the rest of the chapter, which also raises the third threat, this time a threat regarding blessing. Uh, In chapter 14, verse 17, when Abram returns from defeating the four kings, he's offered two blessings. The first one from Melchizedek, the king of Salem, uh, that is the city that would become Jerusalem. Uh, And this Melchizedek just kind of pops up out of nowhere. Verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. It's quite an odd episode because, like I said, Melchizedek just kind of pops out of nowhere and yet he seems to be worshipping the same God as Abram. God most high, creator of heaven and earth, uh, the saviour. And as God's representative, he blesses Abram. And Abram accepts the blessing. He gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he's captured. Uh, The book of Hebrews goes into quite a bit of detail about uh, Melchizedek and uh, 
and what's going on with him. But for the sake of time, I'm going to skip it so you can ask me about it in question time. But it's after this blessing from Melchizedek that the threat occurs. Because when Melchizedek is done with blessing Abram, the king of Sodom steps forward. Now, Abram's recovered everything that's been uh, captured from the king of Sodom. And so the king offers Abram uh, the chance to keep all the goods that he has as long as the king of Sodom gets his people back. Now, presumably, that's a lot of valuable stuff that Abraham could get to keep. Now, here's the question for you. What would you do? Okay, chat to the person next to you. seen that one coming, but yeah, perform a coup, like, what, just knife the king of Sodom as he comes up or something, and, yeah, okay, okay, yep, that's, that's a thought. <laughs> Any other suggestions? It seems like a lot of work to look after all these people, so I just take the deal. You take the deal, yeah. hand the people over, yeah. uh, but keep the stuff, yeah. yep. Any other thoughts? Okay. Well, that sounds reasonable to me, Andrew. Think. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, I've taken all the risks, right? It's me and my blokes who are out in the battle, who defeated the four kings. Without me, the king of Sodom wouldn't have anything. He wouldn't have the people back. Uh, he wouldn't have any property. Uh, it only seems right that I should get rewarded for my effort. So, yes, I'd do what you did. I'd hand the people back and I'd keep the stuff. Besides, who doesn't want more stuff? Well, as it turns out, Abram doesn't, at least not from the king of Sodom. So in verse 22, he says to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten, and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol and Mamre. Let them have their share. Aner, Eshkol and Mamre are um, some Amorite brothers who are allied to Abram. So Abram happily accepts the Lord's blessing through Melchizedek, but he rejects the offer of blessing from the king of Sodom, which is quite a courageous thing to do, I think. Uh, after all, this guy is a king and it's a pretty offensive thing just to uh, reject the blessing that a king offers to you. 
And Abram acts not only with courage, but with kindness. He makes sure that the Amorite brothers are looked after. We're seeing something here of God's promises starting to be fulfilled, that all peoples on earth would be blessed through Abram. The Amorites get blessed. But why does Abram accept Melchizedek's blessing and reject the king of Sodom's? Because he wasn't like this in chapter 12. There Abram was quite happy to take money and blessings from, the, from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But now he declines the opportunity to be enriched by the king of Sodom. What's changed? What's led him to act with such courage and kindness? Well, I think part of it is to do with chapter 13, verse 13, that you can see there on your handouts. Uh, where we're told that the people of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. I think partly Abram doesn't want to accept this blessing from a wicked man. But I think that just kind of fits into the bigger picture. That after the whole fiasco in chapter 12 with the uh, Egyptians, Abram has learnt to not only trust God's promises, but his way of bringing them about. And it's that confidence in God, his confidence in God's promises, that leads Abram to be both courageous and kind. See, because the Lord has promised him the land, Abram doesn't need to insist on getting the best land. He can be courageous in letting it go to Lot. Because he knows that God will deliver on his promise. He can be kind to his nephew. The Lord has promised to make him a great nation. And so Abram doesn't need to be afraid about what others might do to him. He can be courageous in pursuing the four kings. He can be kind in rescuing his nephew because he knows that God will deliver on his promises. That ultimately he won't come to any harm. And thirdly, the Lord has promised to bless him. So Abram doesn't need to grasp every opportunity to enrich himself. He can be courageous in turning down the king of Sodom's offer of blessing. And he can be content with God's blessing through Melchizedek, even though there's no wealth attached to it. And he can be kind in giving the wealth that he does have to another people, to the Amorite brothers. I think it's trusting God's promises and God's way of bringing them about that leads Abram to live a life of courage and kindness in a broken world. Now, Abram's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and we're going to see that in the coming weeks. But trusting God's promises is actually starting to change him. He's a different man from what he was in chapter 12. He's being transformed slowly from a fearful and selfish man into one who is courageous and kind. So what about you? As a broken person in the midst of a broken world, what will help you to be courageous and kind? Well, I think it's the promises of God, isn't it? Trusting them. Trusting the promises of land, the new creation, offspring, God's people. Blessing, eternal life with him and with each other. See, say you're considering becoming an overseas missionary. 
leaving your home country with all the personal and social and financial costs that that might entail, what will give you the courage to actually go and do it? To show kindness to others in devoting yourself to telling them about Jesus? Well, it's actually God's promise, isn't it? As Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, Abram made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See what he's saying? Abraham was looking not just to the land of Canaan, but to an eternal land, the new creation, a new city, the kingdom of God. And that's what gave him the courage to leave his homeland. It could give you that courage too, couldn't it? What about when people attack a fellow Christian for their beliefs? When the mob piles on, will you just bail on them like Abram did with Sarai? Or will you stand up for them like he did with Lot? What will give you the courage to speak up for them? To show kindness even if it might cost you a friendship or even your job? Well, it's believing the promises of God, isn't it? Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. God has made these people part of our family. Will we trust him about that? What about when your boss offers you a promotion if you'll do something wrong? If you'll sleep with him or fiddle the accounts or just shut up about being a Christian? What will give you the courage to say no to evil, even when you'd profit from it? Well, it's believing God's promises, isn't it? As 2 Peter 3.11 puts it, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In keeping with his promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What we see in Genesis 13 and 14 is not Abram bringing about God's promises. No, God is bringing about his promises. He's bringing about his promises to restore our broken world. And he does it through Jesus, bringing us into the new creation, bringing us into a new family, bringing us back into relationship with God. It's not that Abraham brings about God's promises, but his confidence that God will bring about his promises changes Abram. Abram believes God's promises, and even as a broken man in a broken world, he's slowly being changed to become kind and courageous. And it's trusting God's promises in Jesus that will help us to do the same. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is kind and courageous, who gave up his life for us, that we might be reconciled to you. And Father, because he's done that, Because your promises are sure and certain in him, we pray that you would change us, that we might be kind and courageous too. 
that all nations might be blessed through us as we live a life that reflects Jesus and we hold out uh, the word of life to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.